Chapter Four of the Dragon of Wantley: His Tale by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four tells all about him. In those days of shifting fortunes, of turbulence and rapine, of knights errant and minstrels seeking for adventure and love and of solitary pilgrims and bodies of pious men wandering over Europe to proclaim that the duty of all was to arise and quell the pagan defilers of the holy shrine, good men and bad men, undoubted saints and unmistakable sinners, drifted forward and back through every country, came by night and by day to every household, and lived their lives in that unbounded and perilous freedom that put them at one moment upon the top limit of their ambition or their delight, and plunged them into violent and bloody death almost ere the moment was gone. It was a time when fatten at thy neighbor's expense was the one commandment observed by many who outwardly maintained a profound respect for the original ten and any man whose wit taught him how this commandment could be obeyed with the greatest profit and the least danger was in high standing among his fellows. Hence it was that Francis Almoyne, knight of the voracious stomach, cumbered with no domestic ties worthy of mention, a tall, slim fellow who knew the appropriate hour to slit a throat or to wheedle a maid, came to be Grand Marshal of the Guild of Go-As-You-Please. This secret band, under its Grand Marshal, roved over Europe and thrived mightily. Each member was as stout-hearted a villain as you could see. Sometimes their doings came to light, and they were forced to hasten across the borders of an outraged territory into new pastures. Yet they fared well in the main for they could fight and drink and sing, and many a fair one smiled upon them, in spite of their perfectly outrageous morals. So one day they came into the neighborhood of Oyster-le-Main, where much confusion reigned among the good monks. Sir Godfrey de Sison, over at Wantley, had let Richard Lionheart depart for the Holy Wars without him. Like father, like son, the people muttered in their discontent, Sure, the church will gravely punish this second offence. To all these whisperings of rumour, the Grand Marshal of the Guild paid fast attention, for he was a man who laid his plans deeply and much in advance of the event. He saw the country was fat and the neighbours foolish. He took note of the handsome ties that came in to Oyster-le-Main for the support of the monks. He saw all these things and set himself to thinking. Upon a stormy afternoon, when the light was nearly gone out of the sky, a band of venerable pilgrims stood at the great gates of the monastery. Their garments were tattered, their shoes were in sad disrepair. They had walked, they said, all the way from Jerusalem. Might they find shelter for the night? The tale they told, and the mere sight of their trembling old beards, would have melted hearts far harder than those which beat in the breasts of the monks of Oyster-le-Main. 
but above all these pilgrims brought with them as convincing proofs of their journey a collection of relics and talismans such as are to be met with only in eastern countries of great wonder and virtue with singular generosity which they explained had been taught them by the arabs they presented many of these treasures to the delighted inmates of the monastery who hastened to their respective cells this one reverently cherishing a tuft of hair from the tail of one of daniel's lions another handling with deep fervor a strip of the coat of many colors once worn by the excellent joseph but the most extraordinary relic among them all was the skin of a huge lizard beast the like of which none in england had ever seen this the pilgrims told their hosts was no less a thing than a crocodile from the nile the renowned river of moses it had been pressed upon them as they were departing from the city of damascus by a friend a blameless chiropodist whose name was omar khayyam he it was who eked out a pious groat by tending the feet of all outward and inward bound pilgrims seated at the entrance of his humble booth with the foot of some holy man in his lap he would speak words of kindness and wisdom as he reduced the inflammation one of his quaintest sayings was if the pope has bid thee wear hair next thy bare skin my son why clap a wig over thy shaven scalp so the monks in proper pity and kindness when they had shut the great gates as night came down made their pilgrim guests welcome to bide at oyster le main as long as they pleased the solemn bell for retiring rolled forth in the darkness with a single deep clang and the sound went far and wide over the neighboring district those peasants who were still awake in their scattered cottages crossed themselves as they thought the holy men at oyster le main are just now going to their rest and thus the world outside grew still and the thick walls of the monastery loomed up against the stars deep in the midnight many a choking cry rang fearfully through the stony halls but came not to the outer air and the waning moon shone faintly down upon the enclosure of the garden where worked a band of silent grave-diggers clad in black armor and with blood-red hands the good country folk who came at early morning with their presence of poultry and milk little guessed what sheep's clothing the gray cowls and gowns of oyster le main had become in a single night nor what impious lips those were which now muttered blessings over their bent heads the following night hideous sounds were heard in the fields and those who dared to open their shutters to see what the matter was beheld a huge lizard beast with fiery breath and accompanied by rattling thunder raging over the soil which he hardly seemed to touch in this manner did the dreaded dragon of wantley make his appearance and in this manner did sir francis almoyne knight of the voracious stomach stand in the shoes of that father anselm 
whom he had put so comfortably out of the way under the flower-beds in the monastery garden and never a soul in the world except his companions in orgy to know the difference he even came to be welcome at sir godfrey's table for after the dragon's appearance the baron grew civil to all members of the church by day this versatile sinner the grand marshal would walk in the sight of the world with staid step clothed in gray his hood concealing his fierce unchurchly eyes by night inside the crocodile skin he visited what places he chose unhindered by the terrified dwellers and after him came his followers of the guild to steal the plunder and bear it back inside the walls of oyster le main never in all their adventures had these superb miscreants been in better plight but now the trouble had begun as you are going to hear we return to hubert and the company hubert and all of you said father anselm or rather sir francis the grand marshal as we know him to be they say that whom the gods desire to destroy him they do first make drunk with wine the application the application they shouted in hoarse and mirthful chorus for they were certainly near that state favorable to destruction by the gods one black fellow with a sliding gait ran into the closet and brought a sheet of thin iron and a strange torch-like tube which he lighted at the fire and blew into from the other end a plume of spitting flame immediately shot far into the air before thy sermon proceeds old dragon he said puffing unsteady but solemn breaths between his words wrap up in lightning and thunder that we may be may be leave what you say then he shook the iron till it gave forth a frightful shattering sound the grand marshal said not a word with three long steps he stood towering in front of the man and dealt him a side blow under the ear with his steel fist he fell instantly folding together like something boneless and lay along the floor for a moment quite still except that some piece in his armor made a light rattling as though there were muscles that quivered beneath it then he raised himself slowly to a bench where his brothers sat waiting soberly enough only young hubert grinned aside to his neighbor who perceiving it kept his eyes fixed as far from that youth as possible thy turn next if art not careful hubert said sir francis very quietly as he seated himself wonder of saints hubert thought secretly not moving at all how could he have seen that tis no small piece of good fortune continued the grand marshal that some one among us can put aside his slavish appetites and keep a clear eye on the watch against misadventure here is my news that hotchpotch of lies we set going among the people has fallen foul of us the daughter of sir godfrey has heard our legend 
and last week told her sire that to night she would follow it out to the letter and meet the dragon of wantley alone in single combat has she never loved any man asked one she fulfills every condition who told her that most consummate of fools the mistletoe said the grand marshal what did sir godfrey do upon that inquired hubert he locked up his girl and chained the governess to a rock where she has remained in deadly terror ever since but kept fat for me to devour her me and sir francis permitted himself to smile though not very broadly how if sir dragon had found the maid chained instead of the ancient widow hubert said venturing to tread a little nearer to familiarity on the strength of the amusement which played across the grand master's face ah hubert boy he replied i see it is not in the spring only but in autumn and summer and winter as well that thy fancy turns to thoughts of love did the calendar year but contain a fifth season in that also wouldst thou be making honey-dew faces at somebody but young hubert only grinned and closed his flashing eyes a little in satisfaction at the character which had been given him time presses sir francis said by noon we shall receive an important visit there has been a great sensation at wantley the country folk are aroused the farmers have discovered that the secret of our legend has been revealed to miss elaine not one of the clowns would have dared reveal it himself but all rejoice in the bottom of their hearts that she knows it and chooses to risk battle with the dragon their honest saxon minds perceive the thrift of such an arrangement therefore there is general anxiety and disturbance to know if sir godfrey will permit the conflict the loss of his malvoisie tried him sorely but he remains a father that's kind of him said hubert sir francis turned a cold eye on hubert as befits a clean-blooded man he proceeded i have risen at the dawn and left you wine-pots in your thick sleep from the wood's edge over by wantley i've watched the baron come eagerly to an upper window in his white night-shift and when he looks out on mistletoe and sees she is not devoured he bursts into a rage that can be plainly seen from a distance these six mornings i laughed so loud at this spectacle that i almost feared discovery next the baron visits his daughter only to find her food untasted and herself silent i fear she is less of a fool than the rest but now his paternal heart smites him and he has let her out also the governess is free such a girl as that would not flinch from meeting our dragon said hubert ay or from seeking him she must never meet the dragon sir francis declared what could i do shut up in the crocodile and she with a sword of course they were gloomily silent i could not devour her properly as a dragon should nor could i carry her away pursued sir francis 
Here Hubert, who had gone to the window, returned hastily, exclaiming, They are coming! Who are coming? asked several. The baron, his daughter, the governess, and all wantly at their backs, to ask our pious advice, said the grand marshal. Quick, into your gowns, one and all. Be monks outside, though you stay men underneath. For a while the hall was filled with jostling gray figures entangled in the thick folds of the gowns into which the arms, legs, and heads had been thrust regardless of direction. The armor clashed invisible underneath as the hot and choked members of the guild plunged about like wild animals sewed into sacks in their struggles to reappear in decent monastic attire. The winged crocodile was kicked into the closet, after it were hurled the thunder-machine and the lightning-torch, and after them clattered the cups and the silver rundlet. Barely had Hubert turned the key when knocking at the far-off gate was heard. "'Go down quickly, Hubert,' said the Grand Marshal, "'and lead them all here.' Presently the procession of laity, gravely escorted by Hubert, began to file into the now barren-looking room, while the monks stood with hands folded, and sang loudly what sounded to the uninstructed ears of each listener like a Latin hymn. End of chapter 4